In the 1850s, groups of people began coming by wagon from South Carolina to a sparsely populated area of Florida, and they settled there. Now, when they did, there were a couple small churches that these individuals were able to go to. They had to get there by horseback over dirt roads and through a pine forest. So eventually, a small group of like-minded Christians, those new settlers, they decided they were going to establish their own church. And they did that on a piece of land at a local cemetery. And that little church they built doubled as a schoolhouse. It was a small one-room building. It was lighted by oil lamps, didn't have any heat in the winter. Praise the Lord, we have some heat in here this morning, huh? They had a special church Bible. There's a church member who lived close by whose responsibility was to bring that Bible every Sunday to the service. They had pine benches for pews. When they baptized new believers, they went to a local pond, except during that time of year when the pond dried up. But you know, soon the, the church, it grew. So they had to move and to, to a new place down the road. They built a new sanctuary and they poured their heart and soul into this project. They raised the funds. They updated it over the years. In 1928, they proudly boasted that they had electric lights in their building. They loved being together. They loved the church. You seldom find such a happy group of people together. But their joy was interrupted in the 1950s when their sanctuary burned down to the ground. They found out that insurance wasn't going to cover all of the damage. But then the community and other local churches opened up their doors to help. And because of that, this church, these believers, they never missed a Sunday service together. Later, the Lord blessed them to build new buildings, purchase more land, and it continued to grow. And some of you, you may have already realized that these things are First Baptist Church of Oxford's history. And the reason that we know these things, the reason we can look back all these years later at these facts, these things that happened, is because decades ago, a group of members of the church got together to compile our church's history. And for thousands of years, this is what people have done. They've found ways to remember what happened in the past. This is why you see memorials and statues. There's written records. Nowadays, we take pictures and videos. All these things are to preserve memories of events and people. But why would something like our church's history be important to remember? The reason is because that history helps us remember God's goodness towards us. In fact, whoever compiled our church history wrote this in its conclusion. They said, Our prayers are that all who enter the doors of our beautiful sanctuary will be drawn closer to the Heavenly Father who made all these blessings possible. In other words, remembering the past is about praising God now in the present. It's about seeing how God led us to great heights and through some very low lows. Remembering what God has done is important, and it's important to remember God's goodness in our lives as well, believers. As we turn together to Joshua chapter 4 this morning, we're going to see that this was an important truth for the nation of Israel. So much so that God commanded the Israelites to remember what he had done for them. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 4. We're going to continue our study through that book together. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to use one of the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. If you would like to use one of those, you can turn to page 171. Page 171, Joshua chapter 
four. Beginning in verse one, it says this. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. All right, keep your place in Joshua chapter 4 right there. Now, as a brief side note, because I know some individuals here are going to have some different translations, the wording of verse 9 varies in different translations of Scripture, leading some to interpret it to mean that Joshua set up a monument in the middle of the Jordan River in addition to the monument they set up later at their camp. So I just want to say that a possible second monument is not our main focus this morning. The main focus here is that God commanded Israel to set up a visible monument. They were supposed to pick up 12 stones, 12 tribes of Israel, and set, them, set it up as a memorial, a sign for themselves and their descendants. It was about what God had done. God was commanding them, in other words, to remember this day. Because you want to know what we're great and doing as people and as Christians, you want to know what we're great at doing? We're great at forgetting. Even forgetting the things that the Lord has done on our behalf. I mean, just, just think for a second about how much of your prayer life consists of thanking the Lord for what he's already done and how much consists of asking the Lord to do something new. Now, both of these things are proper in our lives. It just seems that there's a disproportionate amount of these in most of our lives. And if you're like me, we tend to do a lot more asking than we do thanking God, don't we? And beyond that, even when we are thankful, when was the last time we thanked God for something he did a year ago? Or two years ago? Or even further than that in our lives? My point is that something many of us struggle with is being a continually thankful people that always remember God's goodness towards us in the past. But we we struggle with that. And God knows that we do. So he commanded Israel to set up this memorial so that they would remember this moment. And, and really, it's almost, it's almost unfathomable that, that they themselves, the Israelites standing there, that they would ever forget this, right? How could you forget God doing something as miraculous as what they just witnessed? They crossed through the Jordan River on dry ground. I mean, if you were a part of that, 
You probably think about it every single day, right? I sure think that I would. Now, I thought that to myself as I read Joshua chapter 4 this week, and then God reminded me that he did something powerful in my life when he saved me from sin and hell. And I received this free and full salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, and he reminded me that, you know, I don't think about that every single day. So it's really no surprise that God commanded his church would take communion together. The communion is that memorial which reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus, his death on the cross, the shedding of his blood for our sins, so that we would never forget what he did for us, because we can be a forgetful people. God knows that. Praise the Lord for his patience with us. Now, we take communion to remember Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, and the Bible tells us that communion is also our way of proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. Because, you see, visible memorials aren't just going to be seen by God's people, they're going to be seen by the world. And these 12 stones that the Israelites set up, well, they would be seen by this group of Israelites, be seen by their descendants, and any future traveler or stranger going through the land would see this testament about what God had done. And you would imagine that the Israelites would be excited about that opportunity when a stranger came through and said, what are all these rocks about? And then they could start talking about how great God is. And, and God's people should never be ashamed of the great things he's done. We should look forward to, we should be excited about telling others about God's greatness and his power, his power in creation, his power in Jesus' resurrection, the miracles recorded in scripture, and his power that he's displayed in our lives. We should look forward to telling other people about God's great deeds. After all, God desires that we would remember what he has done. So let's see, in case you weren't here with us last week, let's, let's see what God did for the Israelites on that day. Look at verse 10. It says, Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan, until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. And the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant Law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. 
For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. So the Israelites were supposed to remember what God did. What did he do? Well, he, he parted the Jordan River. Then he dried up the bed of the river in an instant so that this great multitude of people, men, women, children, soldiers dressed for battle, carts carrying their supplies, all their property, everything crossed over. Then the priests who were carrying the ark came out. And all the people watched. And they witnessed how just as the river parted the moment the priest's feet touched the water's edge, they witnessed how the water returned the moment the priest stepped out of the Jordan River. Then it says they camped on the eastern border of Jericho. I think that's one of those details in Scripture we tend to read past pretty quickly. We see it as maybe a secondary or boring detail to the narrative. But that wasn't a boring detail to the Israelites. Because when they were camping on the eastern border of Jericho, that meant that they were camping in the promised land. They weren't camping in the wilderness anymore. So this is what God did for them. He powerfully fulfilled his promises to his people. He went ahead of them, just like he said he would. He exalted Joshua in the eyes of all the people, just like he told Joshua he would. And he brought them into the land, just like he had promised he would. So should there be any doubt in the minds of these Israelites now that God would fulfill his promise to give them this land and to be with them in every battle that they would face? Should there be any doubts in their minds? Of course not. But let's be honest. It's easy to be bold, confident, courageous, and strong in our faith when we are in the midst of a miracle, when we are seeing God move powerfully. That's when it's easy to be bold. But for some reason, you know, you give it a few days, maybe a few weeks, a month, and then hard times come. And for some of us, that's when we start to forget those things that God had done. Remember, that's the purpose of a memorial. It's to remember, even in those hard times, so that we could remember what God had done. Now, as you remember God's goodness and provision to you in your life, believer, the things that he's done for you in the past, don't, don't fall into the trap of becoming angry if God doesn't respond to your present situation the exact same way he had done before. God might do that, but just because he worked powerfully one way in our life doesn't mean he's going to do the exact same thing later. That's not always how God works, and that's not the point of remembering what he's done. You see, God wasn't going to replicate this Jordan River miracle again for this generation of Israelites. He wasn't going to do it again. He had parted the Red Sea decades earlier, and he actually would part the Jordan River later, but it was long after this. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 2. But he wasn't going to do it again for this generation. He was going to do other miracles. He moved powerfully in their midst, but this miracle had come to a close. And they had seen God move powerfully. God wasn't going to replicate this for them, so they needed to remember it. And now I want us to see another reason why remembering is so important. Let's look at verse 24. It says, He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. 
God commanded them to set up this memorial so that they would remember everything he had done. But it went even deeper than that. And I want to remind everyone here, every believer here, to, to keep in mind, you know, God doesn't tell us to do things without a purpose. So always keep that in mind when you read Scripture. He might not always tell us the purpose, but he always has a purpose. He had a purpose for this, too. Israel was to set up this memorial. It was a reminder of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his power. But it was also a testimony to the world, and it was a source of strength and encouragement to God's people. And God's great work should always be a testimony to the world, to those who do not know God. To those who know little or nothing of our great God, we should be quick to tell them how great he is. We should tell them about all the great things God has done in our life and all the great things God wants to do for them. The great thing God did for them when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for them. We should be quick to tell people this. We should remember God's goodness so that we can share with others about the only one who can save their soul. Over the years, I've had church members come up to me who've been in the hospital for various health reasons, and a number of them have told me how they shared with every doctor, every nurse who came in that room about Jesus. They shared about all the ways that Jesus had been with them, even though they were going through cancer, even though they were there for something difficult. They talked about Jesus, how good he was in their life, all the things he had done. I loved hearing that every time someone has told me that. See, not only were these believers finding strength in their own lives for the Lord's goodness in the past, but they were using those memories to be a witness to others. And in our lives, when we look back on God's goodness, believers, Remembering how he's moved powerfully in our lives, that should encourage us as we follow him. And we should fear him. That is, we should walk in reverence and awe and humble dependence on him. And as we do that, we should trust him. When we approach some difficulty, as the Israelites soon would, we can look back on those things God has done and we can take courage. God can perform a miracle in every situation that we face. He just doesn't always desire to do that. But he does desire that we would always remember the things that he has done in our lives so that we would trust him more. So First Baptist Church, we need to remember what God has done in our lives and in our church. And there are different ways that we can do that. Maybe you found ways in your life. You can set up memorials, reminders, maybe write things down, whatever it might be for you. And I'll be honest with you, this is not something that I am particularly good at, but it is something I am working on. And years ago, my wife and I first moved here, my older sister gave me a journal and encouraged me to write down just things that happened. Now, I'm not really one to journal, but I've tried to do that. I've tried to write down specifically things that I have seen God do since I first came here. So this past week, I, I read through a few things I'd written a few years back. In 2015, just a short time after I came on staff here at the church, we put on our first block party, and I remember being so excited. And I was confident that we would have a minimum of 200 people from the community come and attend. And I wrote down, with great discouragement, that we had only had about 40 people come. And I am pretty sure I exaggerated when I wrote down that we had 40 people come. But then I kept reading, and a month later, I wrote that there was a family that had visited us at the block party with four kids and they started coming to the church. And then a little bit later I wrote how one of those kids he put his faith in Jesus Christ and he got baptized. See, I'm glad I wrote those things down so I wouldn't forget them because remembering God's goodness and faithfulness then is an encouragement now. 
to continue trusting that God can and will use our efforts when we pursue him here. So church, again, we need to remember God's goodness in our lives. But there are two dangers I would caution all of us to avoid. One, one danger is forgetting what God has done in the past. Because when we forget what he's done in the past, we start to doubt that he'll do anything for us in the present. And the other danger is to cling so tightly to what God has done in the past that we create an idol out of the past that we can't let go. We can't stop looking at. Because of that, we refuse to move forward in the present, all the things God wants to do. So I pray neither of those two things would be true of us. Instead, let's remember what God has done so that we can trust him in our present circumstance and situations. The truth this morning, church, is that God's power in the past should be a part of our testimony in the present and our hope for the future. God's power towards us in the past should be a part of our testimony to others right now. And it should give us great hope for the future. So during our final time of prayer, our final invitation song, if you're here in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd encourage you to refresh your memory on the things that the Lord has done for you. Maybe you've seen him move powerfully recently in your life, but you haven't praised him for it yet. Or maybe you know ways that God moved powerfully in your life in the past, like the day that he saved your soul. But it's been a while since you praised him for that. And I'd encourage you during this final invitation song to spend some time praising the Lord. And commit yourself to always remembering his goodness. And maybe you're here and Jesus Christ isn't your Savior. And if you were honest, you would say you've never seen God move powerfully in your life. Because God isn't a part of your life. If that's true for you, before you leave, I just want to tell you for just a minute the powerful thing that God does want to do in your life. But to tell you that first, you have to understand that the Bible says the problem is that you, me, everyone, we are all sinners. We've all broken God's commands. What we do when we lie and cheat and steal and take God's name in vain? That's the problem. And the reason sin is a problem is because our sins separate us from God. And if they're not taken care of in this life, that separation is going to continue forever after this life in a place called hell. That's a just punishment for sin. Really, the problem gets worse. The Bible says we can't make up for it on our own. No amount of good works, going to church, or going to First Baptist Church's block parties are going to save you. None of those things will. There's only one who can save you, and that's Jesus Christ. Because of that, Jesus Christ came to the earth and lived a perfect life, the thing we can't do. And at the end of that life, he willingly died on the cross to take the payment, the penalty, the punishment for your sins and mine. And after he died, he was buried and three days later powerfully rose from the dead. And right now, Jesus is standing in heaven waiting to forgive you of all your sins, to save you from an eternity in hell, to give you eternal life. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So friend, if you've never done that, please know that you can do that before you leave here today. Please know that you can go from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. You can go from being separated from God to being in a relationship with God if only you'll give your life to Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's where you're at, if you know Jesus isn't your Savior, you know God's not in your life, but you're ready to change all that, Please know that you can do that right now where you're sitting. 
You can go to Jesus Christ in prayer and admit to him that you know you're a sinner, but that you know he died on the cross for you. That you believe he didn't stay in the grave, but that he rose from the dead. And ask him for the forgiveness of your sins. Give him your life. The Bible makes it very clear that the moment you do that, Jesus will forgive you and save your soul. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone here that has made that decision this morning, I pray they'd share it with someone before they leave. Because this is a church full of people that would love to rejoice with them. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's still not quite sure where they stand with Jesus, I pray they'd be willing to come and talk to me during this invitation song. And Father, for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, help us to always remember your goodness towards us. And help us to be a continually thankful people. Help us to praise you for the things that you do in our lives, even those things that have long passed. And let those memories be a source of encouragement and strength in our difficulties let them be a source of our testimony when we share you with others. Help us to be faithful to do that. Father, when we leave this place, I pray that you would give every one of us an opportunity to share the gospel with someone this week. Father, thank you for your goodness. We don't deserve anything that you give us. I know we would never be able to fully grasp all your grace in our lives, so we're just going to keep thanking you for it. Father, we love you. But every single day you prove you love us more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.